0: Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan.
1: Sponsored by InsureMyCars.ie. Low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at InsureMyCars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sport.
0: Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me
2: Ken Doherty and my good friend Reggie Corrigan Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby and all the crack Enjoy the show and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts Good
1: morning Stephen, how are you?
0: Reginald I'm good it's a great great time to be a Packers fan, NFL fan playoffs, <laughs> and the Packers are in the
1: playoffs. oh comfy life is good I know you're uh you were last week we were talking about this and we were wondering what mm-hmm. way it was going to go I know you were nervous it was uh, not an easy time for you but um they got the job done and uh great to see them although they're going to have a tough matchup awaiting them uh, against the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys but great to see them make I know it. yeah oh,
0: it's one of those things, isn't it, Reg, where you're like, you know, if it, comes to, it went down to the last game of the season. And it, the exact situation happened to the Packers last season went up against a team who couldn't get in themselves, but they just wanted to sort of put a party pooper on the party in the lines. They did. Um, and we had a matchup against the Bears, but we did the job. Jordan Love, quarterback for the Packers, new quarterback after Aaron Rodgers. He got voted by pro football focus. Um, and PFF to be the sort of breakout player of the year. So we've got that accolade. He also won um, a- NFC Offensive Player of the Week uh, two times in a row. So he's he's done that. So, but as you say, look, we're coming up against the Dallas Cowboys. And if you look at the stats, Reg, and I, I didn't try hide it on the podcast this week, you know, because when it gets to the playoffs, all bets are off, right? I'm sort of like Packers fans all the way, not going to get too bent into shape about the whole stats thing. Now I'm on the radio, let me hit you with it, right? Dallas haven't lost a home game this season at all. They're 8-0. and zero. They've the longest streak in the NFL, in fact. They've won 16 games at home, and guess what? The last time they were beaten at home was by Tom Brady. Do you remember him, Red? Mm. Do you remember Tom Brady? You never forget yeah, him. Yeah, but look, that... Oh, no, nor will anybody. Uh, Dak Prescott, uh, the quarterback for the Cowboys, he's the MVP favorite. You know, he's, he's first in the NFL, second in the NFL in quarterback is actually Jordan Love for the Packers. But look, they have a wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb. He's like 1,700 yards this season. He's absolutely exploded. They've an average of 30 points per game. But at home, it's 37 points per game. So look, it's it's going to be a tough one. A really, really tough one. The stadium's impossible to play in. The fans are loud. They open the windows and blind the other team when they're on offense. I don't know how that's <laughs> fair, but it happens. And, they're, you know, it's 37 points. So it's just trying to keep up with these guys. But look, stranger things have happened. I think I saw a staff that said the Packers are 5-0 when they went to AT&T Stadium. So we're clinging on to um, Rosary Beats, uh, Voodoo, anything we can to try to beat this Dallas team. It doesn't look good, but look, if you want to fancy the upset on the O'Laka, go for the Packers.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, upsets happen and uh, there's no question about it. Um, You know, there can be, like, I suppose there's that lack of pressure or expectation that might be on the Packers going into this. So it might free them up to play a more free-flowing game that might just surprise the Cowboys.
0: I've been saying it, Reg. Right, we're playing on house money because the Packers went into a rebuild. We're the youngest team in the NFL since 1974. Right, we're, we're average in age of 25. Everyone expected the Packers to tank this season. There's so many sound bites and receipts we have of Richard Sherman, who's an analyst now, who used to play for the Seahawks, saying no one's going to be scared of the Packers anymore. They're going to be useless. And you know, everyone in the division, the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions, everyone rejoicing when Aaron Rodgers left. They did not expect to do this rebuild on the run. Jordan loved to come in and sort of pick up where Aaron Rodgers left off. And to your exact point. The Packers were in the situation for the last couple of years where it was like, right, they're in the playoffs. Uh, They've got a first-round bye. They should win all of these games, and they lost to the Bucs, and they lost to the Niners about a million times. So we were in that position that you talk about, the high pressure, and now the Packers are going in. And look, what what is the Packers' bad parts It's the defense, right? And when you get to defense in the playoffs, you don't worry about the next game and the record and all this. You just pin your ears back and you get after the quarterback, and that might bode well for the Packers here. It'll be a tough one, but as you say, you know, faith is in our favor. Hopefully,
1: mm, absolutely. Well, we'll 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 be having our fingers crossed because obviously, with you on the show, we want Packers to go all the way. Um, it's been a long time that but the dynasty. It's it's finally over. Bill Belichick leaves New England. Um, it's it's sad, isn't
0: it? It's at the end of an era. It is, yeah. I mean, look, we saw it come. It was a slow sort of decline in the end. He's been there for 24 years. We saw Tom Brady go. And, you know, we, we all know the narratives, right? They went to nine Super Bowls. They won six. And it was Brady and Belichick. And their relationship kind of soured at the end, apparently. Because Belichick is a dinosaur, right? He's just wanted stuff his way. He's 71 years young. He wanted stuff his way, and it worked. You know, this whole mantra of do your job. But look, he's 24 years coaching for the Patriots. There's mm. fans out there, Reg, that don't even remember another coach apart from him. Uh, he's second all-time in wins. He's won 333 games, which is hard to say as an Irishman, obviously. Mm. Uh, and he's only 14 behind Don Shula, who's the winningest coach. And he's not done yet. You know, they're saying that he's going to go on to someone else. Um, but... When you look at him and you look at his, and of course we could spend our whole time and we have four hours of a radio show just about Bill Belichick, uh, but he single-handedly got millions of fans into the sport. I mean, there's so many Irish Patriots fans. He's influenced and interacted with thousands or millions of personnel and players and executives and head coaches and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, he goes down in the Hall of Fame about a million times. They've done that with Tom Brady, in fact, where if you look at his career with Belichick, you can splice his career up into two or three different Hall of Fame careers. And that's the way Bill Belichick was. And it's sad, and it's, and it's sad for the reason, because if you look at the press conference and the way it went, it was Belichick getting up and doing five minutes only, and sort of saying, yeah, you know, it's amicable, I'm going, and we agreed it between me and the owner, see you. And then the owner gets up and says, oh, you know, there's no bad blood here. you know." And it's kind of, it was a bit naff at the end, because Belichick kind of petered off, because he didn't have a lot of talent there in, in New England, and... It wasn't the glory that we saw. But for five minutes, Reg, uh, you know, the greatest coach, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, the greatest coach in modern times. And they have to get up and justify how it wasn't a lover's tiff, mm, you know what I mean, yeah. at the end. But look, he, he's not done. Um, they're saying they're tipping him to go to other places. There's seven head coaching openings. So Belichick is not done, apparently, and he's going to fit into one of those. And no doubt he'll be going after Don Shula's record. He needs to win another 14 games to be the winningest coach in the history of the NFL. And I reckon he'll he'll do it.
1: Uh, is he 71, is that what you said?
0: 71, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, he took over in New England from Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll himself, I think he's 74, and he's still going now. Yeah. He got released by the Seahawks or whatever. But yeah, he's uh, he's not a young man, but, he you know, it's going to be hard.
1: Yeah, He still say. has the desire, and that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's Great sure. to see. But, uh, you know, he wasn't the only one. Black Monday went, as you predicted. Loads of coaches ended up uh, getting their pink slips. Give us a run-through of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, an awful lot of them we did predict. Ron Rivera for the commanders, we said he'd go, and he did. Uh, Pete Carroll was a shock to people, but I said it on the radio last week that I thought it was going to happen. Now, he came out, and he was pretty controversial about it, and he said, look, I'm moving to an advisor role, um, and he hasn't had it easy with the Seahawks, kind of similar to Belichick in a way, obviously not a successful Reg, you know, but he had that Legion of Boom, and there's so many Irish Seahawks fans because of him. But they say he's moving to some sort of consultant role, but he came out on a radio show during the week, and said that, look, the people making the decisions in Seattle are not football people. And that's why he never he didn't get a chance to go on. So it seemed like he wanted to play on. Um, Arthur Smith went for the Falcons. Uh, Mike Rabel went for the Tennessee Titans. That was a bit of a shock. Because uh, they sort of look at him and go, well, who is better than Mike Rabel for the Tennessee Titans? They were very successful under him. But they had a change in quarterback, which is kind of... We see, you know, coaches live and die on their quarterback situation and his quarterback situation just wasn't good uh, but before that Josh McDaniels was out for the Raiders, Frank Reich for the Panthers Brandon Staley, long gone for the Chargers that leaves seven head coach openings and the eagle eyed and Arthur Smith for the Falcons but the eagle ears I should say, uh, people out there will notice that I didn't mention the Patriots on that list of needing a head coach because they've already filled the position uh, with Jared Mayo um, so that was a surprising one so when you look at that list Reg seven teams, where could Belichick go if he wants to keep going, you know, they're saying the Chargers, because they've got a good quarterback there, they're saying uh, the Titans as well, but um, yeah an awful lot. and again, it's not only the head coaches remember, it's general managers have gone, and offensive coordinators are gone, and sometimes their whole staff gets uh, turfed out as well, so Yeah, a pretty busy Black Monday after the Sunday's game, that's for sure.
1: Is it as common as that every year? I mean, do we see that amount of axing of coaches um, or or is it a particularly uh, busy year this year?
0: Yeah, it's pretty rough this year, I think. You know, especially because of the big names like Pete Carroll going um, and Ron Rivera. I mean, he's been with the commanders for a long time now. Yeah, so it's not typical. Particularly what, what you'll find is that teams have been pretty bad. And so the only jobs that are up for people and you'll have an up-and-coming offensive coordinator who's seen as dynamic and exciting never been a head coach before and what they're given every year Reg is like a bunch of jobs that are the teams are you know one in 16 and they haven't got a quarterback and they're trying to rebuild and it's a very hard task but it's not typical there's an awful lot of teams in this list here uh, that could do well. Las Vegas Raiders, I mean, they went on a run at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers, great quarterback. I mean, you could slot in there straight away and be winning. Seattle Seahawks had a surprise year last year, so they do have it in them. Uh, the Commanders, again, they have a good defense. You know, so it's, it's not typical. There's this many. And it's also not typical that there's teams that are, have a really good horizon. You know what I mean? So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
1: Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the playoffs then because there's certainly a lot happening this weekend. The first one happening today, uh, the Houston Texans taking on the Cleveland Browns. Um, What way do you expect that to go?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one, to be honest because Flacco's come in as quarterback for the Browns. Flacco was, I think he's 39. They saw him as sort of dead and buried. He's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. He's a good quarterback, so he's come in and They played the Texans before, Reg, and I have these in the act, right? The Texans have C.J. Stroud. He's this young, exciting quarterback. Anything could go their way. And the Browns are on the road, so it's very rare to sort of pick a team that are going on the road to win. But I have. uh, The spread is only minus two. But I think this game all comes down to Flacco is really good in the playoffs when he gets there, and he did get there with the Ravens. C.J. Stroud is young, has never been there before, but I wouldn't discount that against him because this game could go either way. But I think it all comes down to the Browns' defense. They're great and they're brilliant in man coverage. And what's the one area that the superstar quarterback for the Texans uh, is deficient in? It's man coverage. So that's what the Browns are good at. So I expect them, the Browns, to win this game. It's minus two. But look, any of the games this season or this, this week could go either way. But I'm picking the Browns in this one,
1: Rich. OK, and then tomorrow, uh, Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Miami Dolphins. That's the first one.
0: Yeah, this could be one of the coldest games in NFL history. Now, the <laughs> coldest game was a game called the Ice Bowl in 1967 for the Packers. Uh, a story came out during the week that said that one of the coaches' wives missed uh, at the end of the game because her eyelashes froze together, right? <laughs> so that goes to show you how cold this is. This, again, could go either way. It's minus 4.5. Um, the Dolphins obviously play in Miami. It's very warm. So they're coming up to the Chiefs Stadium, which is a hard place to play anyway. Uh, but look, the Chiefs haven't been the same this year at all, Reg. We haven't been on, and I haven't been uh, swooning over Patrick Mahomes <laughs> this season because yeah. he hasn't been playing well. And no, not that he hasn't been playing well, he hasn't got the receivers. And also, Travis Kelsey, or should I say uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, uh, hasn't been playing well. He's kind of had a bit of a down year as well. But look, the weather's supposed to be shocking. And when the weather is as bad as this, it can really go way. Anyway. It's very hard to throw the ball in this weather. I'm sure you've come up against, like, really cold games in rugby, mm-hmm. and they're probably ridiculously punishing. So this could go either way. The spread is quite low, minus 4.5. I'm picking the Chiefs in this one because they're at home. Uh, but this will probably all be done on the ground with the run game. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to be a player. I'd hate to be a fan even to watch this game. They've put in special measures, Reg, of, like, warming stations and stuff like that. It's not Green Bay, but it will be cold
1: yeah they must have it must be played on um, a heated completely heated surface because I do remember now that you Mm -hmm. mentioned we went to Newcastle to play them back in the day and the pitch was frozen and uh, you know they gave they played it two days later and To be honest, it was still frozen, but they said it was thawed out and it wasn't a nice experience hitting that ground hard, I can tell you. And Ulster on a few cold nights as well. It's hard to play sport in that kind of freezing cold conditions. So we'll see which way that goes. Okay, then uh, the other one to discuss is the Buffalo Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers. What way will that go? Yeah, this this
0: is a tough one as well. I mean, the... The spread in this one is large. It's minus 9.5. Now I've picked the Bills for the AACA, but again, I hate picking games. I hate picking games in the ACA anyway, you know me. But I hate picking games that are minus 9.5. But look, this, the Steelers had nine one-score wins this season, which was the most in the playoffs. They squeaked into the playoffs, and the Bills are playing really well. But I mean, I picked the Bills earlier in the season, Reg, and they just laid an egg. So you never know what Bills team is going to show up. However, the Steelers are one of the teams in the playoffs that, and I hate to sort of disappoint all the Irish Steeler fans, but they're more of a pretender team. You know, they're not very convincing. The largest spread is actually on this game. So I tip the Bills to win this one. Um, Although I have a lot of faith in Mike Tomlin, and he's done great to get to the playoffs again against all odds. But no, it's all Bills on this one.
1: Okay, very good. Okay, so then uh, that gives us uh, your ACA. Uh, Just run through it again for us there. Um, I think we're looking at 6-1 to odds on the ACA. 6-1
0: 6-1 yeah 10 down 70 back I'm going Bills minus 9.5 against the Steelers I'm going Browns minus 2 against the Texans and the Chiefs in one of the coldest games ever minus 4.5 against the Dolphins Good
1: morning Will how are you?
0: Good thanks Reggie how are you?
1: I'm um, Wonderful thanks looking forward to a great weekend it's been a busy weekend of rugby there's no question about it I suppose we'll start with the worst kept secret in rugby I suppose the appointment of Andy Farrell as the new Lions coach Uh Yeah, he seems to be very happy about it and certainly quite bullish looking at a 3-0 series win. Uh, But I think uh, a fair appointment and a pretty just appointment at this stage.
2: Definitely. He was the only candidate really when it came down to it there was no one else pressing their claim anywhere near the extent that he was. He obviously has the prior experience of being an assistant on two tours. And as you said, he's he's getting into the job at a good time. You know, the with so African tour taking on New Zealand in their pomp—they're gone now. It's Australia on their knees. Obviously, 18 months is a long time to talk. Joe Schmidt could be brought in potentially to turn things around, but the Lions will be unbackably heavy favourites, I'd imagine, and will be targeting a three-nil victory. It's a great move for him personally. He gets—he's he, taking a Six Nations on a summer tour off to do this. It'll really boost his standing in the game. It's a great moment for him. Um, I'm a little curious about what it means for the Irish team.
1: Mm. Um,
2: I'm not going to lie. I'm not one of those people who think it's a uniformly positive thing. Ultimately, his job is to coach the Irish team. There's a, in January 2026, the World Cup draw is going to be made. So he's missing the Six Nations kind of in the lead up to that. So look, there's, there's things to be ironed out. I'm intrigued to see how it all
1: comes together. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, from an Irish per- perspective and purely selfishly, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I think this is a this is a very important Six Nations for Ireland. You know, it's a rebuilding Six Nations. We've got pl- new players coming into key positions. We've got to blood some younger players. We've got lads returning from injuries. Um, so it's a kind of a delicate point. And also, I, I, funnily enough, I saw. Um, some uh, points being made on Twitter during the week. Where is the World Cup review? I mean, we haven't actually heard a review of the World Cup because ultimately um, we fell short of our target and that was to get to a semi-final. So this Six Nations actually has a, a lot of importance for the coaching staff and the head coach, you know, taking a step down may be, uh, you know, maybe interesting in, in the future.
2: Yeah, well he is gonna be here for the full year yeah. this year. Like the prior Lions tour, um, I believe Warren Gallant stepped down for the autumn as well, which would have been a very lengthy period, but to be fair, Andy Farrell kinda name checked this autumn as a really important period that he wants to be there for. So at least he, he's not going for it for as long as Warren Gallant has in the prior style 'cause as for the World Cup review like we all saw last time, like a review gets done. David News is as a the press conference and cherry picks a couple of lines from it. And we never get to see,
1: yeah.
2: we probably see about like 5% of the extent of it. Now, obviously, the last World Cup was a complete disaster. So there was far more kind of things maybe to pick through. This World Cup, though, like, as you say, we didn't ultimately, you know, reach our target. And people want to know why that was. Did they play players too much in the early years of the competition? Was there some anxiety about that quarter-final hurdle? We probably won't find that out, I hope, but at least they forensically analysed it. And as for the importance of the Six Nations, yeah, I completely agree. You're setting the tone for the next four years. Like, you couldn't ask for a more difficult start. Friday night in Marseille, like we've touched on over the last couple of weeks, that's a massive game. The first game post-Danny Sex, and we still don't know who the captain of the team is going to be. You know, if you lose that game and don't go well in the opening game, the, the tournament obviously then becomes, like, you know, a very different complexion. Like, it'll be a tough game to win anyway but at the very least the performance is needed just to kind of turn the page on the Johnny Sexton era and usher in this kind of new four year cycle
1: Yeah um, I didn't mean for any moment that uh, Andy Farrell's sights wouldn't be on this campaign but what I suppose I'm getting at is that he's going to have to look at some of his coaching staff that he has there to see are they able to step up into the gap, you know, when that time does come? And I suppose that's the question that's going to be on his mind uh, a lot. Um, and there's talk of Simon East to be stepping into that role. Are they in a position like as Paul O'Connell? Have they have they enough experience and will they have by the time that that happens is the question I would have.
2: Yeah, it's going to be Simon Easterby. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd say 99%. Like He's the most experienced member of the staff. Like, he's been there since 2015 season. Like So he's been there almost 10 years now. So he's really been kind of... And before that, he was the head coach of the Scarlet. So he does have head coaching experience as well, albeit you know, quite a long time ago. He, he filled in as the head coach on the Emerging Ireland tour last year when Andy Farrell didn't go on that. So he's the obvious candidate. Paul O'Connell, I'd say, is probably a candidate to actually go on the, the tour itself, maybe as the assistant coach. He obviously he'll need to tidy up that line out though because his stock has fallen I would say a, a decent amount given how that struggled to the World Cup but he has the kind of the Lions association he's a legend of the game up to the kind of World Cup period he'd been getting kind of uniformly positive praise for the impact he had, had on, on the Irish team and the forward pack so I think he's a life candidate to actually go maybe in the summer uh, on that tour, obviously he'll still be at the Six Nations when Andy Farrell isn't there. Maybe as the lead assistant too. Simon needs to be, but I would be very surprised if it wasn't Simon needs to be named head coach for those two international windows when Andy Farrell
1: was gone. Yeah, okay. Uh, the other interesting one then, of course, is Owen Farrell. Um, they have said Ben uh, Calvley, uh, Lions chief executive, said that No one is barred from being considered for the squad, but a lot of talk that Farrell, Owen Farrell, uh, would be going to, you know. Racing ninety two and all of that stuff that goes along with that. Also, picking your son is not going to be easy. Uh, and how is his form at the moment? I mean, is, does he does he justify his place in the squad? So a little bit tricky that whole Owen Farrell, Andy Farrell debate.
2: Oh, massively tricky. It's going to be so intriguing when it comes to selection in whatever, well, what is it, about maybe a year and a bit's time. Because like, like, I feel like I've written, read a few pieces, own oh, Farrell being kind of written in as captain already. And mm-hmm. I'm not, like, I'm not seeing this form line, especially at international level. Like I had a good chat with my colleague Rory O'Connor uh, yesterday because he did a kind of a mock line scene with being picked today and had Farrell as 10 as captain. And I was thinking, God. Far is lucky to Johnny Sexton and Dan Bigger have exited stage right because I wouldn't even have him in the squad potentially with his international form. I know he played well in that South Africa rain fest in the Stade of France in the semi-final. But at that point in the tournament, I didn't think he was playing well. Mm. Um, I obviously get he's a Lions legend. He is, by all accounts, a phenomenal leader. But the on-pitch performances need to be there too. Like, in two years' time or a year and a half' time, I, I imagine there'll be about half candidates to have emerged in the meantime. If he hasn't played international rugby between now and then, unless Rattling have won the Champions Cup or have won the top 14 and he's been sensational, I don't see how he, he gets into the squad. But as you said, it's his father. Andy Farrell's never really been directly responsible for picking his son. There was always talk when he was in with Lancaster as assistant, like what role he had in pushing the cause of, of Owen, because there was a lot of controversy back then with Sam Burgess and Ford and Farrell and all that. So it'll be very interesting to see how he handles that. So yeah, that's one of the key subplots that I'm really looking forward to seeing.
1: Uh, for me personally, I would just love to see a Marcus Smith type player, if like Marcus Smith himself, behind a pack that's comprised of the quality that we could offer from an Irish perspective, mixed in with some of the other uh, nations. You know, because I I obviously feel that we've got the strongest pack at the moment. But I would just love to see what he could do with real good quality ball, because I don't think he's been getting that with England. And t- and at times when he does get it with Harlequins, you can see that a um, little bit of just. Uh, genius that that can come in from nowhere Uh, so exciting to watch I'd love to see that on a Lions tour I'd love to see him being there at that 10
2: yeah and it's a great tour for that like Australia realistically is not going to be the physical challenge of South Africa last time Mm. or New Zealand the time before that so it's a, it is the perfect tour. This is actually a huge six nations for him. George Ward's carrying an injury at the moment. Owen Files obviously pulled himself out of selection. So Marcus Smith is going to be starting out half. Their first two games against Italy and Wales, ideal to build some momentum, as you say. But I'm just curious what Steve Borthwick like. Is he going to release the handbrake? Like he's come in and he's played he's I actually think they've been worse than they were under Eddie Jones. I know they got to the semi final of the World Cup but they had a very easy draw. Yeah. Um I don't I think they're like polar opposite kind of Personalities. I'm fascinated to see if, if if Marcus Smith is given the freedom to to kind of play the way he wants to play because that's the way England should should be going in. Really, like, with the way they've been playing, it hasn't been working. You know, in the round, they haven't finished in the top two in Six Nations since 2020, which for a team like England is a pretty awful statistic. So, yeah, he's prime to take a leap forward in the Six Nations, I think. And then, obviously, the Lions tour next year, if he's signing for England, he'll be right in the frame because mm. the, the out half landscape, as like I said, bigger's gone, Johnny Sexton is gone. There's no kind of big beast there anymore. Own file gone as well, so it, it's ripe for someone to come in and kind of grab by the scuff of the neck.
1: Mm, yeah, let's see, uh, and an opportunity for um, Irish players as well. No question about that, too. Okay, let's move on to the Champions Cup this weekend. Um, I want to start with Munster because uh, Northampton did them a bit of a favour last night, but uh, they're plagued with injuries. Great to see Peter Mani uh, coming back and a few others, but you know they really are hanging on by a thread and away to Toulon um, and stab my all. It's a huge ask to get a result today, and if they don't get the result, it's hard to see them qualifying
2: yeah it's funny when I saw the team sheet yesterday at 12 o'clock I, I started to get a little inkling from Munster today I'm not going to lie like yeah. I know they still have a lot of injuries but they got three key guys back at three key positions like Niall Scannell back at hooker a proper first choice hooker back there line-out's been a shambles Peter Armani obviously back for the line-out but also the leadership ability like I think they were they were, they were fairly rudderless in the end game against Bayonne and Exeter in their two games they probably should have won both of those his kind of steadying presence will be vital as well as his line-out acumen Alex Nand- then coming back in in the centre. He's been really good when he's played. Him and Frisch look like they have a very good combination. Munster have been cutting teams apart as well in Europe. I know they haven't cut their points in the board, but they've been playing good rugby. So I actually really like the look of this team. If you actually go through their team sheet, yeah. besides besides John Klein, I'd say this is actually their, their first choice starting team almost you know so mm-hmm. it's not as if maybe their depth on the bench isn't quite as good but this is as good a team as they can basically put out by Jean Klein, in my opinion so I wouldn't be shocked if they went there and won like Toulon have lost their two matches as well yeah. in, in like you know late circumstances they're not the team they were now they've picked a very strong team as well the strongest team they've picked so far in the tournament so it's set up to be an absolutely cracking game like I mentioned Dan Bigger earlier he's starting it out half today the few jeans in the background that people might have seen at the World Cup who, who can really turn it on. They have some big guys in the four-pack, you know, Focundi Isis and Braids very, very good. So it's sort of to be a cracking game. I was, I was thinking suspicion coming you know, at 5 o'clock or so, we might be looking back and, you know a famous Munster away day, but they need to be more composed than they were in their first two matches.
1: And they also need to avoid any further injuries on yeah. the day. I mean, uh, they, you know, they, they have replacements with the likes of Brian Gleeson and Kendall and, and Conor Murray to come on, um, but... You just don't feel that in a front row they can have the big, you know. They they certainly don't have uh, the equivalent of the South African entire front row to come on and cause damage, you know. And that would be a worry for me. And you know, it is as strong as you said, long side, and they haven't performed, and at home they need to perform so it's going to be a tough one Um, I I wouldn't doubt what you say it it is always possible you never bet against Munster they could get it done but it's a particularly tough one I feel for them to get that done but we'll hope that they do and as I said good to see the uh, players back and hopefully it didn't take them too long to get back into the game Leinster um, at home at half five this evening in the Aviva Stadium Stad up to their usual tricks sending over I think it's like the Espoir they've sent over
0: yeah, this
2: is gonna. I wouldn't be surprised if this was fifty points, kind mm-hmm. of similar to Northampton Bay on last night. Like the Leinster team that they put out is the strongest team by James Ryan who's on the bench. So it's like the you know locked and loaded Leinster team almost by you know maybe a, a two or three players. I and and they've been kind of talking in the media about they they really want to deliver a full eighty minute performance. Leo Cullen was very frustrated with the two late tries they conceded against Sale. They know it's a points race both in terms of your match points but also your points difference. I'm expecting them to really put the foot down, put them to the sword and rack up a huge score here. It's a a bit disappointing for, you know, the, the, the fans who maybe, you know, the Aviva game is traditionally the marquee pool match, but just the way it's fallen this year, it's kind of a, not a dead rubber, obviously, but with Stad sitting over their second string team. But it's worth remembering, Sale did the same in the RDS and ran Leinster, you know, quite close for large periods of that game. So Leinster haven't been at their best so far this year. This is a day, you know, with a key match away to Leicester next weekend, to kind of get this two-match window off to a really strong start. I expect them to do that, but it's not going to happen by itself. They need to be much more clinical than they have been in their matches so far this season. But with the team they've picked, I, I expect them to do that. Also a big game for Kieran Frawley. Harry Burn ruled out with an injury. Mm. Frawley wasn't great at out-half against Sale. I didn't think. They didn't kind of manage the game as well as we would have hoped. So a big game for him as well. I know they're massive favourites, but someone needs to lead them around the pitch. So important for him today, I
1: think. Yeah, indeed. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a bit of a... Uh, An embarrassment maybe for Stad if... um Leinster click and I think they will click because I think they need to as you say you know, against Sale they didn't maybe um, do themselves uh, the justice that they many people expected so I think that'll that'll happen today certainly a very very strong team no question about it good to see some of those players back as well and James Lowe the first time we've seen him in a long time as well and Furlong too so um, I think uh, they'll get that job done quite handily now the other huge huge game of course is the Ulster-Toulouse game Toulouse for me have been the absolute standout team in this tournament so far, and they've packed their team again, going over to uh, yeah Ulster, and I know Ulster feel a bit confident, but they're just such a hot and cold team. You don't know where they stand. But for me, I think Toulouse have this one uh, in the bag.
2: Yeah, I know. I think we disagreed on this last week as well. Yeah. I Look, yeah, as he said, the Toulouse team is full strength. They're really targeting this competition, as they always do. They are the favourites, and justifiably so. But I just, Ulster on a Saturday night, they're playing pretty well at the moment. They've picked their strongest team as well. Like yeah. They they have a good injury profile. Stephen Kitchov, I'm really impressed with. So you're hoping that he can maybe equalise maybe the potential scrum dominance Toulouse would ordinarily have on this fixture. I think it'll be close. I, I think Toulouse might have maybe too much for them, but I, I think Ulster will come out of it with kind of a bit of credit in the bank again and, and, and run this pretty close. I am a little kind of worried after seeing what Toulouse did the Harlequins last time out. They really destroyed them and put them to the sword. But I think Ravenhill is, is a better, has a better home advantage than the them Stoop. And a losing bonus point for Ulster, you know, and then maybe if they can sneak a win next weekend, it could, could be enough for them to, to progress. But yeah, I... I I'm gonna kind of wavering on my my, my the bit of confidence I had last week, but I, I do expect it to be close. I, I expect those to be competitive in this one. I think it'll be a really entertaining game and a great way to cap off, what should be an enjoyable day. Ruby. rugby.
1: And at home, they are always a different team. There's yeah, no they question are. About like, it. It's a tough place to go. Yeah, it is a tough place to go. So um, hopefully they can uh, put up a big performance uh, against Toulouse. And uh, then finally, of course, we have to talk about Connacht, who are away to Lyon. They have not done well so far in the in the cha- in the uh, Challenge Cup in the in the champs. Cup so far ninety six points across their two games so far, uh, but they uh, that they've conceded, but they know that um, they're right back in the mix if they can go and get a, a win against Lyon and Lyon again are another team that are a bit bit of an enigma to me.
2: Yeah, like they, they, they got hammered 41-0, I think, by Toulouse last weekend, obviously. Mm. As, we, as we touched on there, Toulouse are, are, are probably the you know the cream of the tournament so far this year. But it's definitely a winnable game. Like, the Connacht have not been great, but they got a morale-boosting victory on New Year's Day. Obviously, no Mac Hansen, he's injured. No Bundy Aki, he's not playing this week. But like, he hasn't been playing great for them anyway, to be honest. So I, I'm not... That, that doesn't... You know, I'd be more worried if he was missing an Ireland game at this stage than missing a Connacht game, to be honest. I don't think his former club level has been great. Like I can actually see, kind of, you know, again, maybe sneaking a victory here. Like Leon aren't great. I just, I, I consider maybe getting a bonus point or two with a couple of tries thrown in. Maybe a win in, in France is maybe a bit too big of an ask. But just looking at the team sheets, like you know, I've probably seen Paddy Jackson start for Leon today. Obviously, like you know, I, I'm not sure if he's played against an Irish team since he's uh, since he's left Ulster. But that's one subplot. But um Mm, Yeah, I could see Conk sneaking a win. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, Liana, I think they're 13th in the top 14. Will their focus really be that much on Europe? Probably not. And as you say, Connors have Bristol to come on Friday night in the sports ground next weekend. So if they win this and win next weekend, they'll probably go through their knockout stages. But even if they don't win, it's important that they pick up a bonus point or two because you can still qualify for the Challenge Cup if you come fifth in your pool. Mm. For me, that's still a card for a team like Connors who can go on a run in that competition. I think I touched on it a few weeks ago. They didn't take that competition seriously last year when they had a good chance of winning it. Yeah. I don't think they can turn their nose up at trophies like that. So I'd like to see them at least try to stay in the fight, pick up a bonus point or two if they can't get the victory, and then really tag it that. Bristol game
1: next Friday This year we are highlighting different sporting communities across Dublin City and County and today I'm delighted to have Alan McGrath in studio with me from Dizzy Footwork Dance Studio Academy in Tallaght Good morning Alan How are you? Good morning
3: Great how are you? I'm very
1: well absolutely delighted to have you in I suppose when people think about uh, dancing they probably don't automatically think about sport but there's no question about it uh, if you ever tried to do a bit of serious dancing you want to be pretty fit so as a form of exercise it's excellent I
3: oh, want 100% to come here it, it's just great to see it in so many schools and all nowadays I remember when I was younger um, when I was doing like football and hurling and swimming there wasn't really options of dance around but nearly every primary school and secondary school in the country is doing it now which is great to see TikTok is helping as well I think yeah there's
1: no doubt. yeah, COVID and TikTok the two things
3: that That's it, COVID created as well, dance yeah.
1: and, uh, and maybe a little bit of dancing with the stars as well but we'll get on to that so what got you into how did you get uh, interested in dance
3: oh god my sister Lisa actually she started dancing um, just before me and like I was doing a lot of sports and then I just kind of followed in her footsteps and my mum and dad were like go ahead so I just copied everything she did and I absolutely loved it dance just kind of took over everything for me in the end so yeah I've been doing it ever since and Lisa and yourself are running the academy yeah we were the school in are only 15 years open now. So we have a student base of like three years to over 20. Right. So all ages, it's great like, and it's great for fitness. Like the majority of them are, in are just for fitness and some are just in it for fun, some want to be professionals and it, that's absolutely fine. Whatever they're into, we're there for. And what sort of age group are we talking about that you're catering to? Oh God, well three and then our oldest student would probably be 27. At the moment, yeah. But the majority now would be younger. Yeah, Like, all the kids just love it. Like, mainly, like, baby age, you know? Mm. And is
1: it... uh, What type of dance is it? I mean, is it just... We uh, do a mixer. So we do
3: hip-hop. We do musical theatre. We've thrown in a bit of tap there in the past. We do drama. We do acrobatics. We do lyrical, contemporary. So, yeah, it's great. Whatever they want, we try to cater for, you know?
1: And... um you know, is this kind of an after-schools project that that, that happens? You know, they come in after school. Absolutely, they yeah. So they,
3: they come to us on a Monday and a Friday. We're open at the moment. And then when we're doing shows, we we put the foot down and we get the work on. So we have two shows coming up in the Civic Theatre in Tala in Easter. Okay. So that's what we're prepping for at the moment. So how many will be
1: participating in those shows?
3: Uh, over 180. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, so huge. busy, busy. Yeah. And we'll just rotate it like a conveyor belt. <laughs> I can imagine,
1: yeah. But, uh, is it? difficult to manage that many especially young kids I mean trying to get them all coordinated and get them together
3: and Do you know what like it, does, it doesn't seem well it doesn't seem like a job to us so we absolutely love it so it, it doesn't seem that difficult now mm. Now getting them to the stage where where it's tight and clean and we're happy but we're, we're very um particular on how we want them to look but it's just we know their potential <laughs> yeah
1: you, can, you know what they can do <laughs> that's it uh, and I mentioned there you know things like dancing with the stars and uh, even you know America's Got Talent and the X Factor and all these things more and more dance troops all the time what, is it JLS or are they famous no they're a band. JLS or b- are they bad yeah. I know there's uh, some dance troops that have kind of made it pretty big over uh, out of X Factor but it, like, it's, is that where the explosion has really come through it
3: is yeah and like uh, the likes of like X- factor and like I remember like I've done Ireland's Got Talent and The Voice and stuff and like there's just such a need for like backing dancers in this country now as well when, when TV programmes and stuff come in and we mainly call that style commercial dance is what you'd see on TV yeah. and shows like that so there's such an interest and it's very, it's very common and popular at the moment with all the teens and, and kids you know. Yeah, and um, I suppose when when I look at <laughs> Dancing with the Stars because
1: I know a few rugby players that I would have played with back in the day, and I see them trying to find their way around. <laughs> uh, and wouldn't I, be as graceful
3: as you think. Yeah,
1: it would be, you know, and maybe not built for it. I mean, you probably have to be of a certain type of build for dancing. But um, to get fit, is, is there like, is it a good way to get? It's fit?
3: brilliant, though. I'm, I'm sure you know yourself. Like I know, I know a lot of rugby teams and football teams that like actually take ballet classes. Well, I've heard of in the past to build you know, a strength not up. You in know. My day that it not in your day. <laughs> yeah, to build up strength and all. Like, the technique and all behind it is completely different. But it's, it's, it's just great for fitness, whether you're in your 50s and whether you want to take a Zumba class or whether you want to do it professionally. I think there's so much now in this country like to cater for, and especially Dublin. Like, Dublin and Cork, I think, especially are huge for dance at mm. the moment compared to when we started. So, like, it's just so great to see. There's a million skills. There's a million classes you can take. So, get out there and just start a bit of dance. There's no
1: harm. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a cousin who's a professional ballet dancer Oh, brilliant. Uh, studied in London and um, she is incredible and she's teaching it now herself. But I suppose that's the next uh, question. Uh, is, is it something that kids are looking to get into as a profession? Is it very, very difficult? To they are. And like, like
3: what I used to find difficult as well, I remember when we, we were even deciding to go to college when we were younger and we were looking to train, like there, there wasn't a lot of opportunities there to to study and train here whether it was a teacher or professional wise mm. you know so a lot of people do go across the water but it's, it's kind of starting to pick up here which is brilliant and there's a lot of amazing people in, in Ireland at the moment trying to do amazing things and and try to prevent people going out mm. of the country to, to train you know okay. and I, I notice a lot of friends and students that have gone over, they're now coming back here to work, which okay. is also amazing to see, you know. Okay, well, tell us a little bit more about the show. Give it a plug now while you're here. And, oh uh, God, yeah, go we, we have three shows. I think one on one on Easter, um, Saturday, two on Easter Sunday. So by all means, come along. It's Disney Footwork Dance Academy in the Civic Theatre in Tallinn, really looking forward to it.
1: Excellent. Well, Alan, uh, brilliant talking mm. to you. Really enjoying thanks thanks a really. bit of energy this early in the morning. <laughs> Just what we need. Uh, but thanks for coming in and good luck. Thanks for having with me. With the show, good luck with everything. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Cheers. Okay, it's time to turn our attention to golf now, and uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Johnny McCann. Good morning. How are you, Johnny? You well?
4: I'm great, Reggie. How are you?
1: Very good. Very busy. There's a lot going on today. There's no question about it, and uh, that's the way we like it. Um, And uh, uh, golf has certainly got a lot of stuff going on this week as well. I was quite surprised, I have to say, during the week... um, I thought this partnership would never end but I saw that Nike and Tiger Woods have parted ways after 27 years and 450 million euro later. Tiger put out a statement saying it was over 27 years ago he was fortunate enough to start that partnership with one of the most iconic brands and ever since then it's been amazing moments and memories and I think uh, there, you know, that, that partnership has been iconic. The golf ball rolling into the hole will always be remembered. Uh, I didn't think think they'd finish that partnership though I thought they'd keep it going forever more
4: Yeah it's a, it's a funny one alright I think after the Nike and Michael Jordan partnership Tiger Woods partnership is the most successful partnership that Nike's ever had I think uh, he, he's made said, over 450 million euros so he's he's done pretty well out of it but mm. Nike has made billions out of it and even on a personal level Tiger and Phil Knight were very very close friends they are very very close friends as it remains when Tiger went through his own kind of personal scandal in kind of two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight. Every other sponsor dropped Tiger apart from Nike. Nike stuck by him for twenty seven years dead straight. But it's um yeah, it's an interesting one. There are rumors that Nike's looking at getting out of golf entirely. They've obviously already got rid of the, the golf ball, got rid of the clubs. A couple of other golfers have, have since left. Um Jason Day used to be with Nike, as have a couple of others, Alexander Levy is well has left. So there could be some rumours circulating that Nike will be leaving, leaving golf overall. But what Tiger's going to do next is anyone's uh, is guess. Really, there are a lot, but lot of rumours that that he's going to be starting his own clothing line, or whether he's going to be doing something with TaylorMade Golf and kind of heading up his own kind of brand within TaylorMade Golf apparel. Yeah. But either way, he kind of has people guessing because he hosts a tournament next next month, the Genesis Invitational in Los Angeles, and. At the end of his statement, he said, people will ask if there's another chapter. Yes, there will certainly be another chapter. See you in L.A. So <laughs> in classic Tiger Wood style, he uh, he has his guessing.
1: He has his guessing. And uh, I have a feeling he won't be out of pocket in the end of it all anyway. I think he'll be another 450 million, uh, the the richer somewhere along the line. But uh, yeah, an iconic uh, brand, uh combining uh, finishing up so um, end, end of an era we'll put it that way that famous red shirt on the final Sunday we'll, uh, we won't see that too much anymore um, although it'll probably be red with somebody else in other news Keith Pelly, the DP World Tour Chief Executive is stepping down ahead of the move to Maple Leaf Sports that's an interesting one
4: yeah so Keith Pelly is actually Canadian he is from Toronto so the, um, the Toronto Maple Leaf kind of I guess it might be a harsh play on his, on his on his behalf trying to go back go back home and work in the industry in his home country or some city, but yeah, his his tenure as chief executive is going to come to end on April second. He's, as I mentioned, returning back to NHL side, Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, that group also owns the NBA Toronto Raptors. But the mm-hmm. next EP World Tour CEO is actually going to be the current deputy CEO, Guy Kenning's. Guy mm-hmm. So. Guy joined the DP World Tour in 2018 and has been in the position of Deputy CEO, so some people are thinking it's going to be bit more of the same tenure from Keith Petty, but I guess when a new face comes into a position like CEO, there's always going to be some changes.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, though? Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about the RNA chief, Martin Slumber, is also moving, but it's an interesting one uh, timing-wise, with everything that's going on in golf at the moment, um, with the Live Tour, with the uh, you know, even even uh, people like Rory McIlroy saying that they're changing their mind a little bit on the Live Tour and maybe the players that have gone over. There's a lot of upheaval in golf at the moment. Is it that these these um, people are just saying to themselves, oh, look, you know what, I might move to a different sport where there's a bit more stability at the moment?
4: Yeah, I think with Keith Talley, he's been in the position for, for almost eight years, very similar to Martin Slumber's, as we're going to talk about. Mm. But Keith Eddy overseen the, the increase of prize purses to a record level on the DP World Tour. He's made it a global tour. You know, It's actually kind of apt that this tournament in Dubai is taking place because Keith Eddy was one of the people that was the pioneer in bringing the European tours or was over to the DP World Tour, which Singapore, China, Bahrain, where it's going to go next for the next five or six weeks. So he was very much instrumental in becoming a global tour. But then when Liv came involved and... You know, again, Quesaday was central to when Saudi Arabia hosted three tournaments in the DP World Tour for three consecutive years. There wasn't a huge amount of um, pushback about those tournaments when they were part of the European Tour, apart from the final year. So he, he's been heavily involved, and I think as Liv has gotten bigger and as big players from the DP World Tour and PGA Tour have left... He's been kind of criticised in his role. Some people aren't too happy with, with what he's been doing the last couple of years. But at the same time, he's also led or been a big part of the strategic alliance between the PGA Tour and DP World Tour. So he, he, he's brought a lot of money into a lot of people's pockets in the DP World Tour.
1: Mm. OK, and I mentioned, and you mentioned just there as well, the r chief, Martin Slumbers. Uh, this is a surprising move as well. Um, stepping down by the year's end and, you know, at a time when, as we said, um, there's a little bit of uncertainty around the USGA uh, and 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 the PGA and everything that's gone on. with live. It, it's it, it's an unusual move, isn't it?
4: It is. So so Martin Slumbers when he first took the job said he was never going to be in the year, in the job more than ten years. This is his ninth year. I mean, he seems to be a man of his word about it anyway. Mm. But it's it's certainly an interesting time. I've I've been on this program with you. We spoke about the proposed golf ball rollback yeah. a couple of times now. Martin Slumbers for years has been a big advocate of that Um, the golf ball rollback really isn't going to be brought in until 2029 anyway so he would have had to hang on for a long time so perhaps it's the case of he's saying let's leave this year, give someone five years to oversee the the implementation of the golf ball rollback and it's someone else's tenure but he's also been very good in terms of women's golf he he brought back the rights for the women's open they used to be held by the LPGA but now it's held by the Orne the same way the men's open championship is He's brought in a lot of money into that. He brought AIG on as a sponsor. So, as a voice and as a face for golf overall, Martin Slumbers has been um, revolutionary, really, I'd say. He, he's been, done very, very good things. And hopefully he stays in the golf world. I personally would love to see him be the new PGA Tour Commissioner. I think he'd be fantastic. Mm. But uh, hopefully we don't lose him entirely
1: okay well let's hope that's the case Um, Rory is doing well maintaining the lead in the inaugural Dubai Invitational uh, at Dubai Creek Golf Club he loves it in Dubai doesn't
4: he he does I think in the last since 2009 which was his first year on tour he's either finished second or third every year apart from two years I think two years ago he finished 12th in 2013 very randomly, he, he missed the cut. But every single year since he's turned professional, he started his season off in Dubai. He loves it there. He's won five times over in Dubai throughout his career. So five of his 16 DP World Tour wins have come from three golf courses, I think. So yeah. he loves it out here. He loves the grass. He loves the heat. He's also been working very, very hard to um, bring the best part of a season or when he peaks as, a, as an athlete throughout the year from... August to to October to actually March to May. He was on the Overlap podcast with Sky Neville and Boykeen, and, uh, and spoke about how he and his team are currently working and peaking at this time of the year to lead into the Masters and then the PGA Championship at the end of May. So this could be the perfect start for him. I think if he uh, if he does well here, if he does if he wins next week, he's the current reigning champion at the Hero Dubai Desert Classic, which is happening next week at the Emirates Golf Club. If he does well here, well there this could be the perfect start. And I don't wanna begin the hype about Roy McIlroy winning the Masters, but I mean, week one win one, it doesn't get any better
1: than that really. It doesn't, because that pressure is enormous on him, ten years since a major, it comes up every year. Um and and it, it does seem to affect him, doesn't
4: it? It does. I and mean, I think it's incredible to think that it's been ten years now since he since he won the Open Championship in twenty fourteen. That's um, it's, it's something that I think if if you said to Rory, he, he wouldn't have believed himself. Mm. But at the same time, if you told him he's going to win that many majors, I think he, he would have taken it as well. It's not all about Rory McIlroy, though this week, Tommy Fleetwood has just taken the lead and is currently holding a two-shot lead. Tommy Fleetwood actually has a golf academy out of Dubai, Dubai Creek Golf Club. He lives here for a good chunk of the year as well. So mm. the golf course he knows very, very well. And then Irishman Tom McKibben is actually three under for the day, 500 for the tournament. He's tied for the 19th. Tom McAvan, he won on his debut season last year at the Porsche European Open in Munich, and he is the one I think is going to win at least once this season.
1: Morning, Alan. How are you?
5: I'm good. Reggie, yourself?
1: Never better now. Looking forward to a great weekend of sport again. It's action-packed as always. Um, But a bit of action last night as well. I see Vincent Company's not too happy over the decision to allow Luton's uh, controversial stoppage time, we'll call it, uh, equaliser. And Burnley uh, denied that crucial three points.
5: Yeah, I was watching the game, Reggie, and um, to be fair to Luton, they played very, very well in the first half. Then Burnley got themselves ahead and they probably shaded the second half. But overall, I would have said... Said Luton probably deserves something out of the game but as you says, it was marred with controversy because of that late goal and um, initially I actually thought it was a goal but on reflection when you look back at it Reggie it does look like Adebayo impedes the goalkeeper now people will argue the goalkeepers get too much protection as it is and um, and he needs to be stronger in that situation but it does look like Adebayo just impedes him as he's coming out to get the ball Trafford. but Luton will be absolutely delighted but from Vincent Company's point of view because they're scrapping for every little point that they can get, they felt very, very aggrieved.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. It, 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 it wasn't the way they wanted it to go. Um, in, in, in the other game, I was watching as well last night, there was the, the incident with uh, Aaron Connolly. Yeah. Uh, I saw the stuff on online last night. and I was looking. At, that was an unbelievable challenge. And I think the referee gave the decision against him in the end.
5: It was unbelievable, Reggie, yeah. And I hope he's OK, Connolly. Uh, he was taken off straight away and he's been doing quite well with Hull. Yeah. Um and they've been going well in the championship. But I did see that challenge as well. Um and it was one of those and you know even better than me, Reggie, when you're caught on the blind side oh, yeah. and you're and you're hit like that when you when you're not aware so you're not set for it. Um so I could only imagine just how, how sore that was for Conley. He was taken off. haven't heard anything since, but hopefully he is okay. But as you said, the referee gave the decision against him, so it's, it's very
1: difficult to understand these referees, Reggie. Uh, I, I have no idea how Because even in the replay... Uh, and I don't know, VR, VR doesn't get involved in that. But even in the replay, you can see he's looking up. He's not looking anywhere but up at the ball and just completely gets uh, lambasted with a hit from nowhere. And as you said, they're the worst possible types of hits to get because uh, you just don't see it coming. But uh, hopefully he will be OK and everything will be fine with that. Um, I see... Uh, th- De Bruyne ready for Manchester City action? They're saying at Newcastle.
5: Yeah, he's ready, Reggie, and that certainly looks. God, that's needed. All the other clubs. <laughs> when you see the fact that um, he's back. Now I was reading last night, Haaland, I thought he'd be back next week, but it looks like it could be the end of January. But just the fact that they're getting these boys back now, they've hit a purple patch. Obviously, since the Club World Cup as well, they've won all their games. Foden has stepped up, um, and that's always the worry because of the quality that they possess. We always said they can go and reel off 10, 12 wins on the trot, um, and can the other clubs do that? That's always the big question. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure if he'll if start the game because the cut and thrust of a Premier League game is, is different to coming on against the likes of Huddersfield, yeah. especially away from Newcastle. Um, and they might just try and mind him and protect him, but you'll definitely see him at some stage. But he is back, he is ready, he is fully fit. Um and for us, for us as well I know like maybe from, from an Arsenal point of view or Liverpool who are challenging for a league but for just the league in general you want to see the best players and De Bruyne has been one of the best players in the league for the last number of years so uh, it's good to see him back from that point of view
1: I couldn't agree more I mean, you, you, want to, you want to win it if you're going to win it when you're playing against the best you're only playing against the uh, not, not, not so uh, good players Jack Grealish I see is going to be available well after his e- illness but John Stones is still out
5: yeah, Stones is still out, but I suppose people will argue as well, we'll have the squad to cater for these injuries but you still have to manage those situations and I think they've got through it quite well, Man City, to be fair. The fact that they're still firing on all fronts as well, that can be difficult but um, the fact that De Bruyne is back, Reggie, and I watched the game against Huddersfield where he came on, now it was Huddersfield, but he looked very, very fit, looked very, very sharp as well, eager and hungry to get, hungry to get back, and that'll be the the, the fear as well because he's missed so much football he'll be absolutely raring to go as well so um it's good to see him back
1: mm, Absolutely uh, I see uh, Jen uh, Sancho um Ten Hag is still not being drawn on, on what the future is going to be for that after he's gone over to Borussia so we're, we're kind of still kind of in limbo on that one
5: yeah, I'd be surprised if there's a future for him at Man United right yeah. to the way he's behaved you know Um Now, I'm sure Ten Hag has to be diplomatic about it when he's giving the answers to the media, but I'm sure if you were to sit down with him privately, I'm sure he's disgusted with the way things have carried on and and how it's played out as well. And and if you have any player in the squad, regardless of what disruptions or what trouble, if they've gone this long without playing, there must be a major problem, you know? Mm. And um, I can't see him coming back. I'm not even sure if the fans would want them back, Reggie, because his attitude has been absolutely appalling um, to, to not want to play... You can still go out and play, even if you've fallen out with the manager, once you have a bit of respect. But he has obviously no respect for, for Ten Hag. Ten Hag's the same. He's the one that has to set boundaries at the club. Otherwise, they'll, they'll all do something similar. And we've kind of seen that in the past with them as well. But I'd be shocked if we see him in a Man United jersey again.
1: Yeah, OK. Um, the only I, way see- I really
5: read, I suppose, with, with, with the new ownership, and if Ten Hag was to leave, new manager comes in and start with a, with a fresh, uh, clean slate. You might see him back in that regard, mm. but I've been very disappointed with Sancho as well. I thought when he signed a good up-and-coming English player that he'd be, only, he'd be a brilliant addition to the squad, but it's been so, so disappointing. how Not only the way he's played, you can understand the lad maybe struggling on the pitch, but his attitude has been absolutely shocking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, Spurs. I have to. I know how fond you are of them. I see. Uh, uh Postacoglu is still saying that they're in that title race. They've a tricky one uh, tomorrow against uh, Man United away. But to have um, real ambitions on the title, they've got to win that one, haven't
5: they? Yeah, and I love his attitude, Reggie, because a lot of managers would be dampening down expectation, and especially he's only new into the club, and Spurs haven't won anything in years. So the easy answer would be, oh no, we're not in this at all. We're just happy for Europe or whatever. But the fact that he's bigging it up as well, I think it's brilliant. And the fans love to hear that. Mm. And talk about managing situations when you have players. You think of the players that they were missing with, the likes of Madison, Van de Veen, Romero, they're best players. And they don't have the squad to cater for that. And he's been able to navigate his way through that period and still only remain three points behind Villa. And everybody's raving about Villa. And so... They are in the mix, really, and if they were to get Madison back fairly quick, um, obviously Van de Veen is back now, he's fit. Romero, hopefully, he'll be back soon. Who knows, Reggie, because I saw them in the early part of the season in the flesh, and they were absolutely outstanding, they were, when they had their all their players fully fit. Now, Son is away at the moment as well, you need to get him back as soon as possible but who knows if they could go on a run and, and, and just hang in there until the end stranger things have happened but I just love the, the approach from him and the attitude that he's not shying away from it he's not dampening expectation he's um, relishing the challenge really
1: absolutely now you mentioned Villa there and everybody raving about them I, I have to mention them away to Everton a game I fancy them to win Um and that would put them uh, okay. with they? They'd be. They're only three points behind Liverpool at the moment, but that put them right up at the top of that table. They're they're flying at the
5: minute. Yeah, been brilliant. Unai Emery, a great manager. He's doing a great job, Reggie. Mm. Um, and yeah, they're very much in the mix as well. I find you know I think now they have to try and organize themselves with Europe as well in the second part of the season. Like so many of them, that's where Spurs have a bit of an advantage because of no European football. But Unai Emery has been down that road. A million times really With European clubs And managing that situation as well So they're right in the mix I think they'll beat Everton as well For whatever reason The wheels have come off A little bit with Everton They need to get themselves Back on track as well um, Obviously the 10 points thing Doesn't help But they got themselves Out of the relegation zone And on a really good run But now to find themselves Back in it um, After that result last night So bit of pressure on Everton as well but I think Villa will get the
1: job done so do I Um, I have to mention Arsenal very disappointing last number of games really dropped dropping out of the title race is the way I'd have to describe it Um, losing to Liverpool was a serious blow
5: yeah and it's been it's kind of come out of the blue that that run Reggie They've, they've been going very well I know they haven't hit the heights maybe of last year but they still haven't been losing games But um, the ones they've lost and the disappointing performances, especially the one against Fulham, I was very disappointed with them that They were very, very poor. I know West Ham are on a good run and and you could lose the odd game maybe to West Ham, but it was still disappointing in the manner in which they lost those games. So, again, pressure on them to get back. Now, I thought they played quite well in the cup game, Mm. but they just couldn't put the ball in the net. And that's been the Achilles' heel. And that's why everybody's... Shouting at our terror, really, to say you need a centre forward. So I thought Arsenal would like to go out in the January transfer window now and get a centre forward. All the talk was Ivan Tony, whoever it is that you try and get in, but I thought you'd get somebody in because that that is their issue and that is their problem that they just can't put the ball in the net, particularly that centre forward area.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of a bit of a problem when you're playing in the Premier League. <laughs> week in, week out. Well, you especially need somebody to put the You're trying in there.
5: to overhaul a Man City who have Haaland and you're guaranteed 25 30 goals. Yeah. Liverpool have Salah. Guaranteed the same. That's always going to be the issue, you know. That You, you, you do need a centre forward. That's, you won't get by with everybody just chipping in with five or six.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a couple of games coming up that we might fancy results in, so hopefully that'll get the momentum going. They won't rule them get. out
5: just yet, Reggie.
1: Yeah, they won't rule them out exactly. Not just yet.
2: Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken, and Reggie. Have a good weekend. Ha, ha,